If you enjoyed podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Healthcare for Humans, hosted by Dr. Sundar, expands our understanding of the history and culture of different communities and how to provide culturally responsive care. There's an episode you should check out where guest Dr. Duran details the systemic barriers faced by individuals with DACA status and highlights the importance of addressing these barriers. Check out Healthcare for Humans on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to Highway to Health. I'm Jeremy Quinby. I hope you're well, wherever you're listening from, your desk, a train, the car, wherever you are, you can listen to Highway to Health now. We're on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and Spotify. And uh, don't forget to hit the subscribe button on your feed to make sure that you get the latest episodes as we post them. And also, if you're if you're getting something out of these episodes and would like to help us keep this project going, you can go to our Patreon page. It's Patreon dot com forward slash highway to health. And if you're listening in from the southeastern U.S., as Carolinas in Virginia, I hope you found safe haven from the aftermath of Florence. I know it's been quite a week for you guys out there with the storm surge and rains for the entire week and the flooding that's followed. I just heard that the power plants are being shut down to prevent further environmental contamination. I know how rough this can be. I was in New York uh, during Superstorm Sandy. I lived between two flood zones there in, in 2012 and was just outside the reach of, of water hitting the location that I lived. But I had dozens of friends whose livelihoods changed that day. Their homes and storefront businesses were devastated by water. A 12-foot storm surge ran through that area up the, the, the Gowanus Canal and coming in from the sea, the Hudson River. Um, the recovery was very slow, and it was it was very hard for a lot of people. I did get to witness, though, the best of humanity as the community came together to help, and people started GoFundMe pages and offered support in any way they could. I even heard that people were coming from different places in the U.S. right right to Brooklyn to to help in any way that they could. So don't give up hope. And if you'd like to help. Um, the people who are recovering are going to be in a long recovery process here from Florence. You can go to global globalgiving.org. They're very well known for uh, putting the, the most proceeds towards the people who have been affected by these storms. They recommend giving cash, not sending supplies, because in, in an effort right now with uh Roads being closed, it's very hard to get supplies in there, but cash is very immediate and much needed. Um, again, that's globalgiving.org. I have my good, I'm my good friend, uh, Dr. Michelle Renee, here on the podcast today. It's taken us quite a while to carve out some time to have this conversation. We've had many good ones over the years. We worked together for about three years at the Healing Garage, a clinic that she oversaw and I co-treated and helped mentor new practitioners there. Uh, she's, she's become quite the force in the world of integrative health. She's here to share her insights of her 20 plus years in the field, starting as a massage therapist, transitioning into functional medicine, chiropractic, and acupuncture. Along the way, she's become also one of the most well-known and loved educators in the field as the director of the massage therapy program at Northwestern Health Sciences University. 
And this fall, they're starting a new program, which she will head, and she's going to tell you all about it right here. Uh, we got a chance to really dig in to uh, our, our history, our working together, and our experience, and, and both of us working in, a, in this field for about 20 years. And uh, she shares you know, some of the insights that she has from being at Northwestern about what the future of integrative care might be. Please enjoy this conversation with myself and Dr. Michelle Winnie. What did you do before you were a massage therapist? I managed a whole bunch of things. So I graduated from high school a year early and didn't really have a clear idea of what You're I wanted to age, do. You're my age, right? Close? Yeah. Yep. 46. Yeah. So when I finished high school, I didn't go to college right away. I worked. Yeah. I worked a lot to support myself. And yep. I also like working. And yep. two of my Clearly. three jobs. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> two of my three jobs at that time were managing retail type stores. Okay. I just sort of everywhere I go, I wind up being the yeah. being in some sort of a leadership position. So I managed some stores and then I went to college. I went to Normandale Community College and I took all of their music classes and all of their anthropology classes and finished an associate of arts degree in three years full time and then still didn't know what I wanted to do yeah. because I knew I didn't want to play the flute six hours a day to be competitive and I didn't think I wanted to teach and I couldn't see what my pathway was in anthropology, so I left school. And where did you go to school? Normandale. Oh, Normandale, Normandale right. Community College in Bloomington. And then uh, I worked some more. I moved to Colorado for a little bit. Um, worked in a call center there, and then came back to Minnesota. But I just didn't love Denver as much as I thought that I would. Yeah. And when I came back to Minnesota, I actually managed a veterinary clinic for a little while. My reason for doing that was to see if maybe I did in fact want to be a veterinarian, which mm. was the thing I always said I wanted to be when yeah. I was a little girl. I could see you doing that actually. Yeah. I would have loved it except for I didn't want to give vaccinations all day long. Yeah. You know, the yeah. the life of a veterinarian is really a lot of vaccinating and spaying and neutering and that yeah. didn't seem very inspiring to me. Yeah. And it was at that time that I realized, number one, I don't work well for other people. So I decided I needed to be self-employed. And as I looked around at my options for being self-employed, massage therapy was really appealing to me. I'd always been told I had good hands. People always wanted me to rub their shoulders. Yep. And I could see that as being a viable uh, entrepreneurial yeah. uh, pathway for me. So I went to massage school really in the interest of being self-employed. And by that time, I was working in ed as an administrative assistant at the Wedge Co-op, which I oh, loved. Yeah, that was right. one of my favorite jobs of all time. We could, we could have easily crossed paths because I, I lived two blocks away. At, we at, probably did. In the, in the 90s. And you heard my voice over the, the intercom saying, HBC, call on line one, please. HBC, line one. <laughs> <laughs> I loved that job. It was wonderful. So I graduated from massage school. I started my own practice. And within a year, my practice was full-time. And I was able to leave the wedge, okay. which was a little bittersweet. Because by that time, I yeah. realized, actually, I did sort of like working for certain people if they were yeah. good managers. Yeah. But I started my uh, life in uh, health and wellness at that point And 
had my own practice for several years until I decided I wanted a bigger scope of practice and I wanted to be able to talk to people about diet and lifestyle. And Mm -hmm. I became fascinated with functional medicine, which I learned about from a mentor of mine in Pepin, Wisconsin. must have been pretty early on in the process because I feel like that term has become far more popular in like the last six, seven, eight years. For sure, for sure. So this was, this would have been... 2002 that I went down to Miami with my friend who was interested in functional medicine and I attended part of that conference and I was totally hooked. Mm. And so I came back from that conference and said, I want to practice functional medicine. I need to find a pathway to practice functional medicine legally, right? Because at that time, my scope of practice didn't allow for it. So I looked at all my options. I seriously considered becoming a naturopath, but that would have involved moving across the country. And so what I decided to do was go to Northwestern Health Sciences University and become a chiropractor. Um, For one thing, I wanted to continue to be able to touch my patients every time I saw them. And there were some options of how I could practice functional medicine that would not allow me to do that. So, for example, if I would have become a medical doctor... I wouldn't have an excuse to touch my patients. And I feel strongly like that is one of the key elements of people getting better yeah. is just being touched. It doesn't even mean that we're applying exactly the right thing to them, but just the quality of touch. So especially if that's just your instinct in general, like and and you you feel like that's one of your strengths to not be able to do that during your day. Right. I, like I can't imagine not touching people, but for a lot of people, I you know, it was like a joke for a long time of like <laughs> that I'm touching people all day long and but not not I mean I can't I can't imagine not doing it. Right. And I had spent several years by then, let's see. I this this would be 5 years into my career I suppose as a massage therapist. So I'd spent 5 years training my hands. Yeah. Training my hands to feel things in the tissue, to be able to sense what's happening, to learn techniques to help people release those things. And that seemed like such a waste to me to then get a career where, be in a career where I wasn't utilizing that skill set. I really wanted to build on what I had already created in my hands and not to leave that behind. So so chiropractic school seemed like the right answer. And and once it was all said and done, I realized I actually really appreciate having the skill of adjusting yeah. joints. Uh, it's much more valuable than I maybe anticipated at the time. But the reason I chose it and the thing that I love the most about it is the scope of practice it gives me. Yeah. It allows me to diagnose. It allows me to fully understand people's diagnoses that they maybe have received previously. Yeah. I can order labs and interpret labs, and I can talk to people about their diets uh, diets and supplementation and better understand could, that. So. Could you have done that as an osteopath? I could have done all of that as an osteopath, but osteopaths are trained as medical doctors first. Yeah. And then they start osteopathy partway through. Okay. So they're trained still in the philosophy of Western medicine or allopathic medicine, or in other words, they're trained in that reductionistic approach. Right. There's you find the problem, you treat the problem yeah. versus chiropractic is the vitalistic approach, which is this idea that the whole body is functioning as a unit. And when people have a symptom, it's because something in that organism is out of yeah. balance or out of alignment. And our job is to figure out how to bring it back into alignment so that the symptom resolves. And that's much more uh, in the spirit of how I think about health and healing in the human body. And it's more consistent with what I try to do with massage therapy as well, right? To help the body be in better balance. So ultimately I made the decision from a philosophical standpoint that I wanted to 
learn a vitalistic approach. I wanted to be trained in a vitalistic approach so that I didn't have the that philosophy trained out of me while I was in school. Yeah. And then I'd have to try to get it back later. That didn't make sense to me. So how was, how was chiropractic school for you? So hard. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's one of those experiences that I don't think one can anticipate just how demanding it is until you're there. Yeah. Um, the training process is very similar to that of becoming a medical doctor. Yeah. So the first two years are, are essentially the same. It's an extremely high credit load, course load. Yeah. So most trimesters were somewhere between, we were on a trimester system at that institution. Uh, most trimesters were between 20 and 30 credits. There was one trimester that was, I think it was 32 credits. Oh my so that's like more, that's almost three times a full-time course load, right? So you're not expected to have a job or do anything outside right. of school. Yeah. In my case, I happen to have been a single mom of a four-year-old when I started the program. Yeah. And I did have a small massage practice that I maintained throughout yeah. school because yeah. I couldn't stop touching people for that long. Right. <laughs> It is it is our balance, right? It is, right. I mean, there are many things I love about being in practice, so I didn't want to have to stop doing that for the four years that I was training. Um, so it was extremely demanding. I think there were there was definitely a big cost in terms of my family yeah, yeah. situation and my time with my daughter. Um, but the truth is that I also remember my mother saying that she didn't get a doctorate because she was our mom and her first priority was taking care of us and she just couldn't see how to fit yeah. getting a doctorate into being a parent. And my mother is extremely accomplished in the world and that made me sad when I heard that because I felt yeah. like she kind of should have had a doctorate. And yeah. I did. I felt like I didn't want to model that for my daughter. I wanted to model the value of education and the fact that our lives continue while we're parenting. In retrospect... I mean, I'm really happy with how my life looks now. Yeah. But that was a huge sacrifice. Yeah, for sure. That she, my daughter, had to make in having me go to school. So I totally get now what my mother was saying, and maybe she made the right choice not getting that doctorate when we were kids. It's a hard. I mean, I grew up with a single parent mother too, so I know the the challenges. And you know, I started working very early. Yeah. <laughs> you, sort of, you sort of grow up a little bit earlier. And, you know, there's trade-offs. Like, I, I feel like with my kids now, I like that they get to be kids a little bit more. And sometimes I'm sort of like, come on, step up to your responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> but I, but there's a balancing act there that's, like, really hard. There are hard calls to make. And then, you know, you know, my wife was a single parent, too, when, when I met her. So, right. you know, and she had gotten herself back to school. So, I you know, I got to, you know, I that the intensity of what her life was like when we first met, of full-time job, going to school trying to find someone to like nanny late certain days. I mean, right. it's such a, it's such a tough balancing act. It is truly a balancing act. And yet I, I just think that we teach our kids different things yeah. when, when that's what our lives look yeah. like. They get different things out of it. And um, I've apologized to her countless times about how much I've been gone. Yeah. And generally her response is mom, stop it. This is just the way you are. Because yeah. the truth is I, I do always work a little it's, more than yeah. everybody else does. And I do always have some ambition or another that I'm chasing down. And I do always have something that I'm extremely passionate about that doesn't necessarily make sense to everybody else. Yeah. Recently, she gave me the hugest compliment, which was to say, 
I really appreciate that you're willing to say yes to things, even when Mm. it doesn't totally make sense. Because you have amazing opportunities show up because you're willing to say yes. And I really appreciate that you've shown me that. And that was truly one of the most touching things she could have said. That she can, that she can see that at this point. I mean, it's pretty, (laughs) pretty astounding. It was really a great thing because she said, I watch other people sometimes say no to things because they can't imagine how that would fit. And now they've closed a door and that door is not necessarily going to open again. So I've had the opportunity to do some really interesting things. And part of that is because I'm willing to figure out how to fit it. There's definitely a cost, but yeah. So, so what did your practice look like after you went through, uh, your chiropractic training. So when I first graduated, I of course stayed in private practice. Uh, I opened a new business at that time, Three Bears Chiropractic and Wellness. And I did some specialties in chiropractic, including pediatric care and um, some women's health and also nutrition. So I was really oriented around treating from that perspective and treating the whole family, which is why I named my business Three Bears Chiropractic and Wellness. I love treating the little ones and I love treating mom and dad. And so I had a number of families come and see me and I I really um, narrowed my range that I was offering at that time to chiropractic. I felt like that was my new technique. That was the thing I was the least comfortable with of what I was offering because previously I was doing about 50% massage therapy and craniosacral therapy. And I decided when I graduated from chiropractic school, I wasn't going to do those things anymore. And there were a couple reasons for that. One, I wanted to hone my new skill and I was afraid I wouldn't hone it if I kept falling back on the things I was already accomplished at. And that felt uh, easy for me. So that was one thing. But the other thing was I couldn't figure out how to bill for it. Mm. I set my chiropractic rates at what was an appropriate and competitive rate at that time. But I couldn't figure out how to charge for my massage therapy skills I couldn't charge what I used to charge because now I have a lot more student loan debt and I couldn't afford to charge that, but I couldn't fathom charging more at that time. So for a couple of years, I just did chiropractic and it was a real struggle because I have all of these old massage clients that had been seeing me for years and they desperately wanted me to treat this problem or that problem and they couldn't find another massage therapist that treated it in the way that I used to and I continued to try to find them new therapists and they continued to say but can't you please just treat me I'll pay me what pay, I'll pay you whatever you want <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so they finally convinced me but also I hung in there with chiropractic long enough to become proficient at that new skill and to learn where it was appropriate to use and where maybe it was more appropriate to do massage therapy. So eventually my practice evolved into being an offering by time and not by service, regardless of what people were asking for. That makes sense because you you have a toolbox of sorts now, right? You, right. You, you've developed more, but, but at the time, <laughs> there, it was the beginning of you starting to kind of like put some different things in there and figure out what was working for what. And Exactly. And so it made much more sense clinically for people to be able to come in, talk to me about the issue that they were having at that time, and for me to be able to apply a combination of low force technique in the form of craniosacral therapy, soft tissue work in the form of massage therapy, clinical massage, relaxation massage, whatever was the appropriate thing for that problem. And then to apply chiropractic and adjustments where that was appropriate. And 
the results were much better that way with the combination of care. And really, that's what people were looking for. It also made me not the typical chiropractor, which people really appreciated. People like to have a little more comprehensive look at what's happening. And I think there are many chiropractors out there who do that. And there are others who really adjust the spine. That's what they do. They're not offering anything else and they're not necessarily recommending anything else. And I find that people really appreciate that combination of care. So that was at that point, I started offering anywhere between 10 minutes and an hour and a half. And people just paid for the amount of time they booked with me and we could use it however they chose. And that's how I practice to this day. And and don't you you think that the the, the change that probably has gone on from I mean, my first awarenesses of the chiropractic were like in the probably late 70s, early 80s, mid 80s. But I think at the time it was like they were were sort of a frontier that then became insurance-based or insurance-accepted. And that transition probably changed things for a while where I felt like there were a lot of these sort of like uh, better known chiropractors who would have underlings or something like, you know, it would, and so there'd be a lot of like fast adjustment that became sort of the tradition as far as insurance-based care was concerned. I don't necessarily think that was knowing what I, I don't think that was the best, best methodology, but I think, think, and I, but I think still people have this idea in their heads that that's what chiropractic is about. Right. Or they had experiences or their parents had experiences. And so they got sort of swayed away from that way of doing things. Where now I see chiropractors being almost a mix of like body worker, some physical therapy type work with manipulations when appropriate. It was like all these kind of things that have changed so much. Right. The truth is, is chiropractors were trained in a, a range of techniques and diagnostic tools. So we take a lot of physical therapy in chiropractic school. Um, we take physical therapy tools. We take a course on physical therapy tools yeah. like ultrasound and e-stim and those kinds of things. But we also learn some soft tissue mobilizations and we learn lots and lots of orthopedic tests and assessments to help us uh, hone our clinical thinking so that we can isolate the problem a little more quickly. Yeah. We, of course, we can call for x-ray and MRI when we need to do that. And historically, chiropractors might have taken x-rays on every person they see. Mm. There are still techniques within chiropractic where that's the appropriate thing to do for that technique because right. they need to see the alignment of the spine and their goal is to change the alignment of the spine on the actual x-ray. Um, but that's not necessarily how everybody practices these days. Right. And I think you're right. There's been a real shift in the, um, in the profile of what a chiropractor is over the last many years. And in rural areas, historically, and even today, many chiropractors kind of were primary care physicians, right? That was who people saw for care because they were simply more accessible maybe than a medical doctor yeah, and they a ton might patients have, on a regular basis. Yeah, and, exactly. The, a ton might have had like a primary care person and a chiropractor. And that's, that's right. Kind of, and you, and if you had pain and musculoskeletal complaints, you're going to see the chiropractor right, for that. And right. um, in some states, chiropractors can do minor procedures. And for example, in the state of Oregon, chiropractors can do obstetrics with if they have a little right? extra training. Yeah. So the state licensure is is different. Mm-hmm. Um, the scope of practice of chiropractors is different across the country, depending upon where we live. 
And that uh, ability to call ourselves primary care physicians is different in from one state to the next. And there are some states in which chiropractors can even write uh, prescriptions similar to how a nurse practitioner can write mm. prescriptions. It is actually one of the things I wish we had here because there, yeah. there's always a time and a place for pharmaceuticals, right? Yeah. And currently yeah. I need to refer them out to medical doctors to get those prescriptions. So, so and what you were referring to earlier in terms of this the speed of the adjustment yeah. or the the briefness of the visit is what we would call high volume a high volume practice yeah. and it's true that insurance and medicare or third party billing is responsible i think in large part for that 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 became one of the only ways to really make a good living in chiropractic in many people's eyes and, and some was people to saw treat results, a lot of people right or, or they wouldn't have kept going back yeah but it, people saw results and the other thing is you know time is of the essence for patients right. so some patients really appreciated that they were in and out of there in two minutes right i don't love it yeah. i don't like being treated that way and yeah. i like for my chiropractor to take more time to see yeah. what's happening in my body and to apply other techniques where that's appropriate, and that simply takes more time. And even like like me coming to see you and getting on your table, it's not all about what you're going to do in terms of adjusting me. It's like we we catch up a little bit for a few minutes as you're sort of assessing some things, and I'm I'm already letting down. Right. <laughs> and it, that, it, the it, therapeutic process takes a little time. Yeah. And therapeutic presence takes a little bit of time. And my goal as a massage therapist was that my patients never felt like I was in a rush, even if I felt like I was in a rush. Yeah. Right. If I, I was, oh, oh, me too. If I felt like, oh my goodness, I don't know how I'm going to fit the rest of this session into the remaining thirty minutes we have. Yeah. I didn't want my client to ever sense that I was worried about the time. Yeah. And the same thing is true now when I'm treating people chiropractically. If they're coming specifically for a chiropractic adjustment, I want them to feel like I have all the time in the world for them for that 10 minutes. And that sounds a little funny, but I really my goal is to be leisurely and relaxed and calm because I think it helps my client or my patient be more leisurely and relaxed and calm when they come yeah. and see me. They yeah, know I'm sure. happy to see them. I'm taking all the time I need to find what's happening in their bodies. And there's nothing rushed about how my hands are touching them. It, it helps us as much as it helps them. Totally. To, to, to be in that state. Like who, who works well under huge you know time restraints <laughs> i know and i leave my job so happy the yeah. days that i'm in and i'm only in my practice now two afternoons a week basically for four or five hours per yeah. afternoon i'm so happy by the time i leave because i've been having these wonderful interactions with people all day and not feeling rushed and people are very happy to come and see me and they're even happier when they leave it's a it's an amazing thing yeah what so, a gift so so did does minnesota have something different in terms of being able for chiropractors to be able to do acupuncture is that how you developed that or yeah so chiropractors can earn a chiropractic acupuncture certificate and then sit for an additional board exam and then have a chiropractic acupuncture license so i earned that i started that process in 2010 i earned that certificate you know passed the board exam got that certificate license in um 2012 i also started a master's degree in 2010 in acupuncture yeah and it took me six years to finish it but i finished it could you you apply (laughs) that part to the to the masters no no it's totally separate training so i started the two at the same time took me a couple of years to finish the chiropractic one meanwhile i was already working on 
the master's degree in acupuncture, which is just much, much more in-depth, obviously. There's a much deeper and wider breadth of knowledge there. Um, But I was able to start practicing a little bit of acupuncture in my office starting in 2012 because I had that chiropractic acupuncture license while I continued on with that master's degree and finished it in 2016. So it just changes my scope of practice to finish the master's degree. Um, Licensed acupuncturists are able to treat a wide variety of different kinds of concerns in the body. It's a whole body medicine. We call it a whole body medicine. So they can treat digestive concerns and they can treat um, insomnia and fertility and just, I mean, pretty much you name it licensed acupuncturists are able to address that. The chiropractic acupuncture license is more limited than that. Mm-hmm. It's to be used as an adjunct to the chiropractic adjustment. Yeah. But chiropractors also treat a pretty wide range of things, right? It might be pain that brings people into our offices, but we have techniques that can help people with things like digestion yeah, absolutely. and sleep and hormonal issues and all kinds of things. So um, we, there are many different ways that we can use acupuncture and a point might be useful both for pain and also for digestion. For and, example. And, and sometimes just feedback that you're getting. Like I, one of my uh, good friends came to see me when I first started practicing craniosacral work and I was just trying to get people on my table and get, get comfortable with it. And he had this like sort of incredible experience where for one, he, he had like sort of a laughing fit on the table which, mm-hmm. as we now know, it's you know, when people have emotional responses, it can come out in any sort of form, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> so it was almost a, maybe a little bit of embarrassment on, on the table at the time that, like, he couldn't stop laughing. Like, <laughs> like 10 minutes, he just couldn't stop laughing. But he's also had uh, a lot of allergies, a lot of food sensitivity or allergy type things. And that day, I saw him later that night, and he said everything just cleared. His whole system just, like, cleared out. He was mm. like, what did you do? And I'm early in my career doing this. And so I have some thoughts about, you know, the, the emotional response. And I, I'm, I'm sure that that, that, uh, autonomic response caused some shift to happen. And I'm sure he probably cleared out some lymphatic stuff, but it, it kind of opened me up to the idea that I don't know everything. I don't know exactly how everyone is going to respond to this. And so over the years, I I'm sort of open to, if I treat the system as a whole and if, you know, the autonomic response balances and the endocrine system functions better and the lymphatic system right. functions, who knows what the possibilities are? I'm, I'm just staying open to all of that. Right. They all inform each other. Yeah. And so it's in some ways it's none of our business what the capacity of the body is to heal. Right. People ask if we can treat X, Y, and Z. And I'm always willing to say, yeah, maybe. I mean, let's try yeah. it because... Everything is so interconnected that if we can correct one problem in the body that's so hung up, many other things might resolve themselves. Now, now you added another tool <laughs> toolbox. How do you how do you start bringing? I mean, you, I guess you had some some acupuncture work now in, involved in your chiropractic practice for a while. Did you have to like go a little deeper in terms of your practice of acupuncture the last few years? 
Well, I just, I have a much deeper understanding about how it can be used mm -hmm. and different kinds of techniques. And one of my favorite ways of utilizing acupuncture and thinking about acupuncture now are the many ways that we can help balance the psyche, the spirit, the consciousness. The, the word that we're translating from in Chinese is Shen. Okay. And we don't have a good uh, translation for mm -hmm. it. So that's why I'm hedging the I, word I'm using I, I, a little bit. I think that's interesting, though, because I, I've had this conversation with you, I think, in the past, but <laughs> with, with other people about how when people are having some physical health challenges, that it is something that's usually almost more of like a, a, a spiritual crisis of some some kind in terms of like the direction of their lives, the quality of their relationships, the relationship with their self, all, all these different pieces. Right, right. And the biggest problem in Western medicine or allopathic medicine is the way in which we have divorced the body from the spirit mm -hmm. and that we don't even have a way to talk about it. Yeah. Like the word spirit is problematic because it implies a religious connotation right. that is not what we're talking about here. Yeah. Uh, but there is something very important about how the person's consciousness and psyche and emotional self interacts with the physical self. Mm -hmm. And that that piece many times needs to be addressed before the physical symptoms will resolve themselves. And acupuncture is a powerful way to influence that. Yeah. Um, oftentimes when we use acupuncture, we let the patient rest for a period of time with the needles in yeah. and they often will fall asleep. So yeah. we create a really relaxing space. We make sure that they're warm enough. Um, we make sure that it remains peaceful for the period of time that the needles are in. And the needles are so tiny, like you could fit 40 needles into one hypodermic needle. Mm -hmm. They're so tiny. Yeah. So people don't really feel them necessarily being inserted and they completely forget about them while they're resting. But they do help the person drop into a deeper state of relaxation than they would if they were just laying on the table with no needles. And, and that part of the treatment is very therapeutic. It helps the treatment work better. And helping people find that place of deep relaxation is key to healing. It just is. It yeah. helps. In a way, it's exercising a muscle to be able to drop into that deep place of relaxation. And many of the patients I see have a hard time getting there in their regular lives. They yeah. don't sleep well at night. They're really wound up all day long. They live very stressful lives. Maybe they work too much. Their lives just don't allow for them to totally relax. So they get to practice doing that every time they come in here to see me. Yeah. And that allows them to heal in a different way than many other techniques do. So that's one of my favorite ways to utilize yeah. it. And that's setting aside the value of each of the points that I'm using, yeah. which it, I'm choosing carefully to address the specific problems that that person yeah, is here sure. to be treated I, for. And I feel like in my practice, I mean, the, the language, you, you study craniosacral work, so the, the language that was used with, with that with that process was like creating space. Yes. And, and, I, and I always think that part of that process is allowing this person's, you know, to, this person to become involved in their own process of healing or to have space for their body to actually just do its, do its work when it's, when it's like congested with all these external stresses, internal stresses, all these different pieces that we're sort of trying to like, you know, manage and, and put, put piece together. 
we don't we don't create that space where our body can just be quiet and do its work sometimes and sleeping isn't always that space for us so it's kind of creating another kind of space for it right absolutely and and what you're describing you talked earlier about the autonomic nervous system right are all of these techniques that we're talking about are designed to help a person drop back into a parasympathetic state yeah and leave behind the sympathetic fight flight uh, overdrive that many of us find ourselves in all day long. And that's yeah. where the body needs to be to heal. Like you said, sometimes people can't even get there when they go to sleep, which is when you're supposed to be getting there. Right. But if the body's stuck in overdrive, that sympathetic overdrive too much, it can't get there. So we sort of, we're retraining it to do that. And I'm fond of saying we are not mechanics. We're yeah. not, <laughs> right. bodies are not machines and we are not mechanics that go in and find what the problem is, fix it, and now you're off and running. Right. The body is the mechanic. The body has to do yeah. that. We just have to create an environment sufficient for the body to be able to heal itself. Yeah. It's hard for our Western minds to, to understand, though, I feel like. Right. I've had this conversation with, actually with the autonomic nervous system. Someone asked me recently, I was explaining it to them, and they said, do you ever find anyone who's too parasympathetic? <laughs> too rested i'm like i don't think i've ever seen it nope and even if if they seem really sort of shut down in some way i know it's because they probably ran their their adrenals and their sympathetic that's exactly right it's a it's a dysfunctional state if somebody's there it's because they can't they just can't make the chemistry anymore to be in sympathetic overdrive but that's a different thing entirely yeah but I, i i like the part of uh acupuncture the the term constitutional yes as as a way of thinking about I mean, it, it really kind of brings us into the idea of what, what is our constitution supposed to be like? You know, right. like we, we have to kind of like get involved in that process a little bit of, of kind of understanding that. And, you know, because they get into like all the organ function, it's not just autonomic. I mean, those are playing off of our, our, our autonomic system, but there's so many other pieces going on. And I feel like the, the thing that acupuncture does well for me anyways, I feel like it really somehow taps into, or maybe I can just imagine this. I don't know what it is, but I leave, you know, acupuncture sessions usually feeling like there's, there's this kind of flow and movement and everything feels, you know, I don't know, like sort of full in my body in a way, like Mm my, my, you know, my system just feels like it's sort of pumping things the right way. And I'm not, my, my breath is really balanced in a way that I don't feel other times. And I can get it from other kinds of therapy, but I feel like acupuncture can do that really well. Acupuncture, well, traditional Chinese medicine, I should say, has a a really elegant way of assessing balance in the body. Yeah. And fundamentally, it is about that piece of constitution that you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And the term constitution acknowledges this individual variation that we all have, mm, yeah, right? Yeah. We, I think it's tempting for us in the Western way of thinking to think that human bodies are human bodies are human bodies, yeah, right. right? Like yeah. there's one way that they're supposed to function. But the fact is that each of us has a different constitution. We were born with different constitutions from one another. We yeah. were born with sort of a, a different starting point. Yeah. And then the ways that we have lived our lives and the things that have happened to us have informed that constitution. And so each day when you walk in to get your acupuncture treatment, your acupuncturist is assessing carefully where you are for that day, 
what's in balance and what is not in balance. And then they're selecting the points that they use to treat you to bring you to a greater state of balance. So the treatment might be different every time you come in. And that's why you leave feeling better because you're not getting a cookie cutter treatment. There's no one size fits all really in traditional Chinese medicine because we're constantly evaluating the body for what's happening today in this moment. We're much more interested in what's happening. And we might ask lots of questions about the past because it helps give us information about the fundamental constitution of that person. And today is overlaid on top of that, if that makes sense. But it's it's really the epitome of individualized medicine. Did did you feel limited when you were uh, using needles as a chiropractor with your with your special license? I mean, was it? It's it's definitely different. It's definitely different, and I don't use it really all that differently now because I'm still oftentimes doing chiropractic care for my patients too. So, truthfully, my my methods of using it are not that different. What I will say is that having the training of that full master's degree just helps me think much more deeply about how I'm utilizing it. And there are a thousand ways to approach any one problem that a person might come in with. It's it's a new kind of anatomy perspective. I mean, it's not anatomy, but I mean, it's just the anatomy of acupuncture and and what, what, what you think you might be dealing with once you kind of get in now, it's it's totally different, I'm sure, than what you knew just as a chiropractor. Exactly. And the language around it is completely different. Yeah. So I fell in love with the language of yeah. traditional Chinese medicine, yeah, the ways that. that we can articulate what a problem is. And there are times that patients walk in and say, uh, give a presentation, talk about the symptoms that they're having and how it looks for them and how their digestion plays into that and what their mood is like. And to them, they're telling me a lot of disparate information. They're giving me things that seem disconnected to them. Yeah. But in traditional Chinese medicine, it's a classic presentation. Yeah. Western medicine doesn't have a name for that. Western medicine doesn't have a way to put all of those things together, but traditional Chinese medicine does. Yeah. And that is so exciting when that happens because to me, sometimes that's a cue that traditional Chinese medicine might be a really good approach for that person. And maybe I'm the person who treats them and maybe I send them to another practitioner who works with me or another practitioner in the area who I know does a really nice job with that particular type of issue. So I don't always necessarily need to be the person to treat them, but sometimes that's one of the ways that I decide to make that particular recommendation over other ones. Yeah. So, so you got into, uh, being, uh, an administrator of sorts, right at at, at Northwestern. After I did, uh, like I said, you, you were around I, for so long. They're like, "Well, we might as well just keep you here full time." <laughs> yeah, it doesn't take long. But so I, I finished for, I finished chiropractic school in two thousand eight, and at that time, I started working for Northwestern first as a clinic supervisor, okay. and then I began teaching a class or two. And before I knew it, I was involved in other leadership types of uh positions there at northwestern so i was the chief of staff of pillsbury um the pillsbury house integrated health clinic for a period of time Mm -hmm. and i was the diversity chair for a period of time and then within the massage program itself i was clinic coordinator for a while and now i've been the massage therapy program director for the past three years or so and i will soon be moving into a new role as the director of integrative care at northwestern so i'm really excited about that and that's a brand new 
thing, right? It's Brand not- new thing. Exactly. Northwestern is really making an investment now in helping to define and create some models for integrative care, not just for Northwestern itself with the various disciplines that we have there, because we have massage therapy, a massage therapy program. We have acupuncture and Chinese medicine, chiropractic. We have a master's degree in nutrition, which I am currently pursuing. <laughs> Since I can't stop, I was just going to ask: Are you are you done with school yet? <laughs> no, I'm not done with school yet. <laughs> we have a, an undergraduate program, um, uh, post baccalaureate pre health program, so pre med. Okay. Pre med type program. Anyhow, we have all of That's those idea. programs within the institution, and we've all been there together for several years hoping by osmosis that we would learn how to work integratively together. But really this takes some serious consideration, thinking and defining and articulating. And so Northwestern is beginning to really make a strong investment in creating that voice for us at Northwestern and also for the other institutions in the Twin Cities that we'd like to reach out and partner more with. And we have some really great relationships built with several of the other institutions in the Twin Cities, educational institutions, as well as hospitals and other facilities. Um, But we'd like to really grow that in the world of integration. Did did they approach you for this? Or how did did that work out for this this, this new, to, to develop a new department basically for this? Well, this was really driven, this was a pretty grassroots effort. Right. So Northwestern, I think very wisely asked the staff, faculty, students, we created some work groups and had people spend some time talking together about how they interpret integration and how they how they think that Northwestern could move most strongly in that direction. And so it was at the recommendation of our own campus community Mm -hmm. that we create this office or this department and that we really intentionally move in that direction. Um, So it was born out of that work, which happened last year. And then just very recently it has come to fruition and I haven't even stepped into the role yet, but that is, that's what the rest of this year is going to look like for me. And I'm so excited to just start working in that creative space and working with my colleagues to more clearly define. Because I think that's one of the problems in integrative care right now is that it's not a clearly defined space. Yeah. And people don't know how to do that. We know how to work in our own offices and our own silos. We, we know how to work side by side with each other. Yeah. We know how to collaborate to some degree. But integrative is a step beyond that, where we have a greater awareness of everything that is available for the patient and that we're really able to reach out and make those connections at the right times so that our patients get the right kind of care and are able to resolve their issues in a more timely fashion. Right. Because that's the thing is you, you get you get sent from one person to the next or you start as a patient, you start exploring outside of whatever your your primary care your specialists and stuff. And if you, if you, you know, to, to be able to add some other piece that is maybe just space that you need for healing, as we were talking about earlier, yeah. such a crucial part, especially when we're talking about pain management or something chronic like Lyme's where you just, you really need a team and you really need someone to be kind of like staying on top of you, staying really focused on you, doing follow-ups, making sure that the, that you're sort of staying on track because if you're going to actually have success. And I think this is one thing that, I hear from at least a lot of a lot of my friends on the allopathic side is that they struggle with success um, sometimes because 
partly because of volume. So they have other people sometimes doing follow-ups. They're trying to do more of it themselves so that they feel successful in their jobs because giving somebody something or giving them a, a, a recommendation or a, a script for something and then sending them away, they don't get to have that feeling of, of like, all right, we got this under control. We, right. Sometimes we don't know what what goes on after they leave the office. Whereas in a, in a more integrative approach, we, there's some communication happening. You kind of get a little follow-up uh, from different people who are involved. And I think that's, that's the, it's the, I feel like it's the communication piece that's oftentimes missing. Yeah. And health and healing is all about relationship building. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And the continuity of the relationship. I'm, uh, I feel like I'm in this business as a clinician because I want long-term relationships with my patients. Yeah, yeah, me too. I'm not interested in having people come in one time, get a thing treated. I never see them again. It's not generally the best care for them. And patients will say this. They really notice whether they have um, practitioners that they feel like they trust, that they have ongoing relationships with, that they can follow up with when yeah. they need specific things. And we need different medicines to treat different things. And so one of the places that I really see a, a problem in terms of referring back and forth and co-managing cases is that there is a fair amount of bias right. within different disciplines. And that bias is sometimes conscious and sometimes not conscious, but largely based on people's individual experiences with varying disciplines, right? So if they were raised thinking that chiropractors are not to be trusted and that's snake oil, right? They're, they're certainly not going to explore it enough to refer a patient there, even if that's the right type of care. Yeah. Or if someone's had a bad experience, let's say with a massage therapist, that was one experience yeah. and one massage therapist and yeah. not representative of the entire profession, except for that it is for that individual practitioner yeah. who is now not going to refer their patient for massage therapy. So we have to do a better job educating all of our providers and practitioners in different um, industries and professions to better understand what each other does and how to know when to refer to that type of a practitioner and how to find someone. How do you determine which is the best practitioner to see within that profession? Yeah. There are 130 named techniques within chiropractic. So you don't just open the phone book and pick right. a chiropractor and go there. But how are people to know how to make that kind of a decision. So that I think is foundational work that we need to do in the world of integrative medicine. And to me, integrative medicine includes not just complementary and integrative healthcare by itself. And it's not also not just Western medical doctors reaching across the aisle and uh, working with massage therapists and chiropractors. It's all of those things. Integrative care is... Uh, different paradigms of healing working with different paradigms of healing in whatever combination. But the point is that it's patient-centered, right? right? The patient's need at that given moment is more important than whatever biases we may have experienced in our lives. And that we have the training to use critical thinking to be able to overcome and be aware of those biases so that we can make the best recommendation for the patient. Yeah, And and that's where these relationships come in over time, too, is is that now they've developed a relationship with you because... You you have sort of you know worked on that over some time period. Now, when something comes up and they and you say, "I really think the best thing for you right now would be to go see this craniosacral person," 
depending on what it doesn't matter what their what their experience was in the past it might be harder to overcome a bias but if they really trust you they might say okay I, i'm willing to try this again because this is something i i, I really want to get past right and whatever the whatever the kind of practitioner is i think that's that's the important thing these sort of these communities I mean, one of the things that has been coming up from different people who have been involved with the podcast so far is that they're saying i think you need to get all your guests together <laughs> <laughs> introduce them to each other and so that because of the, the the kinds of people who are are involved so far are the kinds of people who want to do this kind of care and it doesn't matter what their field is if they really want to you know be connected to the the best people in their field that then somehow we need to we need to meet face to face so i'm sure that's the, one of the bigger challenges mm-hmm. in terms of directing something like an integrative care clinic or however you guys end, end up going with this. Right. I, it, it's very much a creative space and yeah. one that has to provide opportunities for connection. Yeah. Opportunities for connection for students to meet other students of different programs. Oh, yeah. And for their faculty I think members that would be great. to meet other, fa- other types of faculty members. Because one of the challenges I think we have in an educational institution is we're trying to teach a new model but all of our faculty are still operating in the old model. Yeah. Right. So that that's a real challenge. I think the students in many ways are much more um, open, primed, ready for this. Yeah. They're they're sort of already evolving in that direction. Yeah. And it can be very challenging to have everybody understand what that means and not feel threatened by that because yeah. it's not diminishing what anybody does. It's actually expanding what everybody does because it means that we can each do what we do better. Yeah. Because we have another option yeah. for the patient for other aspects I think that's, of their that's care. That's a great way to start. I think mm-hmm. students will always be more open to that stuff, right? And we none of us none of us know what we don't know, yeah. right? Yeah. So to be able to create spaces where people can constantly be confronted by new information and take that in and recognize that some belief they had was actually maybe not accurate, yeah. That's a very helpful exercise. And my hope, and actually this is one of the things I say to my students, when you go see a clinician, who do you want when you walk in that room? Do you want someone who is open to new ideas or do you want someone who already knows everything or thinks they know everything? Yeah. Because if they already think they know everything, they're actually not listening to you anymore Yeah. because they've already assessed it. Five minutes into the session, they're not... They're no longer listening to the information you're giving them or what you believe is wrong or what you've already tried or any of those things. They've already assessed and made some, drawn some conclusions, right? But the curious practitioner is listening to every word that the patient says because there are a lot of ways to go about handling this problem. There are probably also a lot of potential reasons why the problem exists and what the patient has to tell them is really instrumental in figuring out what the best course of action is going to be. And maybe we need to look up the latest and greatest about that particular um, set of symptoms or a condition that's happening. What are some new strategies for treating? And, you know, like you said before, sometimes people are going to have an objection to a given technique or approach or modality, but that doesn't always mean that that's a no go. Right. Sometimes people need to be reeducated about that. And I could give you countless examples of people coming to see me who absolutely were not interested in receiving chiropractic or acupuncture yeah. or even massage therapy, although that tends to be the most popular thing people are open to. Yeah. But once 
once I explain to them why we would choose that discipline or that approach, and I show them on models what exactly we're doing, scientifically what's happening in the body when we apply that approach to care, yeah. and what our options are that maybe makes it much easier for them to consider trying that, they're willing and open to do that. And yeah. they, those are the people who become the greatest advocates I think for oh, what yeah. we do. Absolutely. You know, they're sort of converted to seeing that actually they've been living with something for several years that they did not need to live with yeah. because there was such an easy solution to that. Yeah. So that's very exciting when that happens. And so I view it more as an opportunity to educate across the board with these new students that we have, as well as with all of the other stakeholders on our campus and reaching out to other institutions to simply help them understand what we do better. Because many of those biases that exist in the public about all kinds of different approaches to care, including medicine, by the way, I see plenty oh, yeah. of patients who haven't seen a physician in six years yeah. and they're not willing to go. And of course, one of the first things I say to them is, I think you should really go get a full workup with a medical doctor, yeah. get some lab work, get some screenings. You're overdue for all of those things. First of all, they're a little surprised to hear me say that because yeah. the public has an idea that there's a rift between chiropractic and medicine that yeah. I don't actually believe is there. No, I don't, I don't either. I mean, I think it's, Ed, we were talking about this before we got on mic about how there's, we uh, publicly, we believe there's this sort of division between whatever we want to call a more holistic approach or allopathic approach. But I see, you know, it's certainly a lot of interest from allopaths in what's happening on the holistic side. They might not have the education or the, they haven't, you know, done any coursework in it, or they've done, you know, small, you know, weekend courses and stuff. They're, they're curious enough because they want to know how to help people get better. Right. I think it, sometimes it's, there's more bias from the holistic side the other direction <laughs> where yeah. they've had a lot of bad experiences. And let's face it, I mean, like, our, our system is a bit broken. So if you're, if you're facing something that's very challenging to, to deal with, you're going to get bounced around a bit in that system until you find the right person or the right match for you. And sometimes it's hard because only certain people take your insurance. And so yeah. you're, you're limited by certain kinds of things. And I think we're actually having a harder time with that than we are with the actual uh, approach to care you know, or the kinds of things that might be offered in specialization in, in the Western model. But I, but I feel like that stuff can, that stuff can change with, with relationships pretty quickly too. Right. I totally agree. And the people that I um, work with who are, most adamantly opposed to going back to a medical doctor yeah. or getting regular care with a medical doctor are people who most recently had a very bad experience. Yeah. Or, they, or they're a doctor themselves. Or they're a doctor themselves. <laughs> That's true. True story. <laughs> Sorry, true story. Uh, so, you know, then my job is to talk to them in very much the same way as I would if they decided they're not, they're opposed to chiropractic because they had one bad experience. Yeah. If you take your car to a mechanic and the mechanic is terrible and they charge you too much and they didn't fix your car, are you now never going to take your car to a mechanic again? That's right. ridiculous. Right, exactly. Of course, you're going to go find a better mechanic. And so that's the exactly the analogy I use with people when they say, I had this really bad experience. I'm never going to go back to a doctor again. Yeah. And I say, well, you know, that's ridiculous. And I can't do everything for you. There are a number of things that you need to have a good doctor who knows you and you have a relationship built with that person. You need to go and do that. 
but we just need to find you someone who's a really good fit. And I promise you're going to feel so much better when we do that. So I really push people to go back and find that relationship. And then I'm happy to be in conversation with that practitioner if the practitioner is open to it. And and I think, you know, the thing, there's so much information that can be gathered from a a basic workup um, from a medical doctor. And it's not the whole story. But I think the, the the other side to that is there's also a lot of information that could be gathered from someone who's spent a lot of time. Like some of my the people that I've worked with for years, I, some of them I've worked with for almost 20 years. So, yes, right. Like, me too. I have had my hands on their body. I have heard every I know about their divorces. I know about everything that's happened in their families. There's a lot of information that I can sort of give them in a, in a different kind of way about maybe where I think they are, what state their you know their their health is in at this given moment. And I think we should also be approached in a in a challenging situation like this too, but that workup is super important information. It's really important, and part of the reason I'm I'm so interested in my patients having a good relationship with a medical provider is because yes, there are a lot of those pieces I can do for them. I can order labs. Yeah. I can interpret the labs. Um, I can do all the major physical exams, like basically things that they would go to a general medical practitioner. I can do those things for them. The problem is if they need a biopsy, if I find something wrong and they need to go get a biopsy that they could have done at a GP's office, I can't do that for them. And I don't want that to be the first time they go back and see a medical provider. Now they're scared. Yeah. Right. So I want them to have that relationship built and have a good, safe place to be with a medical provider before there's a really strong need for that yeah. because it's hard to build a really great relationship if they're entering the situation already anxious about the outcome, if that makes sense. And, and I think even, you know, not to discount your skills by any means, but if you've had a relationship with somebody, say, for 15 years and something like this comes up, your emotional investment starts to become a little no, bit absolutely challenging. That's right. It's nice to have somebody else to be able to like go through this with you. I am always of the mind that more eyes are better yeah. on a patient. And I really don't want to be anybody's one and only totally care practitioner. I think that that's, it's just not good care. It's one of the reasons I'm so passionate about integrative care yeah. is because I think all of us benefit from having several providers in our lives that we really trust and who see different points of view of our health and wellness and can talk to us from those different points of view. I think that's really important. And so I feel very strongly about us working with medical doctors, physical therapists, um, occupational therapists, whatever is necessary for that person. Mental health. Absolutely. These things should all be at the table when we're talking about integrative care. So do you, uh, do you, do you have a working definition for yourself for, for health? Working definition for health. Well, what I do not think health is, is the absence of disease. And I think that's what it means to a lot of people when yeah. it comes right down to it. Yeah. It's one of my problems with healthcare insurance. Health insurance is really not about health. It's kind of an oxymoron, I guess, isn't it? It <laughs> totally is. And so my practice has been a cash practice for all of my career yeah. because it doesn't fit into that model. I do wellness care with people, right? I'm interested in knowing exactly what you just asked me. What does health and wellness look like for you? Help me understand what that picture is. And for some people, that's being able to play golf without pain. Mm -hmm. For some people, it's to be able to be on the floor and play with their kids the way they want to, right? That definition is different for all of us. 
Um, so it's a hard question, I guess. I haven't thought about it for myself, but I think it's that I my I am able to do all of my daily activities and all of my sort of biological processes without even noticing them or thinking about them. Yeah. Meaning I sleep through the night without thinking about yeah. that. Yeah. I go to sleep easily, I stay asleep. I'm hungry for meals, I eat the meals, I digest the meals, I don't have to think about yeah. that, yeah. right? Like <laughs> right. at no point is my awareness on my digestive process. When yeah. things are going well and my body is working the way it should, none of those things occur. And pain is not really a normal, healthy state of being. Pain yeah. is an indication that something is out of balance. So It's a communication. It's a communication tool, right? Yeah. So when something's wrong, yes, I want my body to tell me that. That actually is a state of yeah. health. But chronic pain, constantly feeling something or periodically feeling something that's been there for five years, yeah. that's actually not a state of health. Yeah. So that's an indication to me that something is out of balance. And I, I too, need to find somebody to help me with those things. Yeah. Because I can't fix those for myself. I can't adjust myself. I can't massage myself. <laughs> I mean, there are certain points that I could needle myself. But the, the fact is that I don't get the benefit of the therapeutic relationship. Absolutely. And I don't totally relax on the table in the same way as I do if I'm putting myself in somebody else's hands. Yeah, that, that therapeutic relationship is, I think, almost the X factor that doesn't get talked about in terms of integrative care or any kind of care. I mean, you know, I think, I, you know... It, there there are certain kinds of things that I... My, my wife had this really interesting thing happen when we were living in New York. She went to this really old doctor that was just close to her office. And she she went in. She was having, I think, some, some kind of stomach stuff going on. But she also admitted that, like, she was just feeling very challenged in her life. And he put his hand on her shoulder and said, you know, what's what's going on? Is there anything is there anything you want to talk talk to me about? Oh. And and it's not his job to like analyze or do anything, but just to just to feel like someone heard you that you're you're feeling challenged. That that building that that trust building and that therapeutic relationship goes far beyond whatever she might have needed to deal with her stresses at the time. <laughs> you know, absolutely. Sure, maybe some some Xanax would have helped as a bridge, or you know, prescribing some some you know some kind of form, other form of like some mental health you know help or something else but to have someone in that moment just acknowledge you is uh, one of the most important parts of care i feel like absolutely i think that's right what a great story yeah yeah so and i think that it's also the um health to me is the the presence of an abundance of vital energy yeah so enough vital energy to do all the things that i want to do in the day and and enough capacity to be able to fully experience my life yeah. and all the facets of my life, the full emotional experience, right? Yeah. Joy and also sadness and grief and anger and all of those Absolutely. pieces, but in balance yeah. in a way that none of those things get stuck. Yeah, I like that a lot. That I'm not stuck there for a week or two. Um, that we, we are, bodies in motion are made to stay in motion, right? And for me... I really need to commit to having regular care with other practitioners in order to stay there. Yeah. Because otherwise, and I don't think you'll find this hard to uh, believe, I can totally get stuck in my head oh, and yeah. forget that I have a body for a long time. Yeah. And so it's not really that I experience that many pain conditions. It's more that I've become totally checked out. So I need that regular relationship with people to say just what you said about 
your wife's doctor, right? Yeah. How are you? What's happening? And when I look like I'm really struggling with something, what what's going on? Do you want to talk about anything? Or sometimes I have a long enough standing relationship with that person that they can say, I remember another time when you looked like this. Yeah. And, and this is what was happening I mean, at this, that time. This same complaint, whatever it is. Right. So let's go back in time. Yeah. Right. I noticed for myself that sometimes there's an anniversary of a difficult thing in my mm. life. And I'm the last to realize that that's why I've been feeling lousy for yeah. a few weeks. Yeah. Those relationships with practitioners can really help us identify those pieces much more quickly and then find the right pathway out of it. That's so, that's so important. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. This has been so much fun. I feel like we could go on a, a number of different topics that I think we should follow up. <laughs> Absolutely. I would love to. Well, thank you. And uh, I, I'm, I'm so excited for you and your new position. And I can't wait to hear more about what you end up defining as, as your integrative health uh, definition at, at Northwestern. Thank you so much, Jeremy. I can't wait to come back and tell you more. Dr. Michelle Renee, folks, the greatest she. She's had a great career already, and I think the uh, biggest impact she's going to make is yet to come. She's a true thought leader and has put herself in a position to really make this uh, world of integrative medicine uh, a real thing, blending the, the natural healing arts and Western medicine, figuring out how we can work together. If you like the content produced here on Highway to Health, don't forget to check out the Fusion 2.0 conference in Minneapolis, November 7th through the 9th. It's a unique multi multidisciplinary conference focused on promoting humanity at the workplace so people can thrive in work and in their personal life. It's about finding your people, building your community, and taking action. There are over 50 guest speakers lined up for these three days. And as she explained in my conversation with her on the podcast last week, uh, it's designed to be more than just inspiration. They want to see real change happen in the workplace and in our culture in general. They've set up con constructive breakout sessions and have some practical, actionable takeaways so that you can start making changes that you'd like to see and ways to create meaning in your work and life. And uh, so it's a great way to meet people and just build a supportive community around yourself. Register soon, though, because spots will fill up. Go to Fusion, the number two, Dot com and learn more and register. Thanks again to Michelle for taking the time to share her story. Let me know what you thought of this topic and conversation. Maybe uh, let me know what your experience is with, with integrative health and uh, what you think about it. You can email me at jeremy at highway2healthpodcast.com. Thanks again for listening. Be good to yourself. Be kind to each other and take care of your planet. Be well, my friends. If you enjoy podcasts like this, you should check out our other shows on Health Podcast Network. For example, Healthcare for Humans, hosted by Dr. Sundar, expands our understanding of the history and culture of different communities and how to provide culturally responsive care. There's an episode you should check out where guest Dr. Duran details the systemic barriers faced by individuals with DACA status and highlights the importance of addressing these barriers. Check out Healthcare for Humans on your favorite podcast platform or visit healthpodcastnetwork.com.